0: Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gammy. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dashiel Mehta. Dashiel is the Senior Manager of Strategy at ASIC. He's worked for a number of organizations, both in the commercial and government sector, in India, US, and now in Australia. He's got quite a vast um, amount of experience across very, um, very different facets of data including um, big data, data warehousing, data quality, data governance, he's worked in organizations where he's built up data operate operations from the beginning to completion. Um, so you know very, very extensive uh, background in this field. Um, in today's topic, we're going to talk about data literacy, which is a trending topic at the moment uh, and cover why it's important to ensure that key people in various parts of the business develop data literacy skills. Um, making, you know, uh, data literacy a organisational wide priority um, will enable your business to be able to get the value out of data um, and not just relying on your data teams to push and make this change. Um, and why it's so important to ensure that you push this across the business um, is some of the stuff that we're going to cover off today. Thank you for joining me today on the episode of Lead With Data. Um, I know we've been discussing um, for a couple of weeks in relation to what we're going to talk about um, and really excited about the topic that we're going to cover around uh, data literacy today. Um, As I do with all my guests, I'd love to uh, do an intro uh, for you, but I think you'll do the best intro for yourself. So I'll get you to give us a bit of an introduction into yourself and your career history today.
1: Yeah, thanks Reena for having me and and really appreciate you considering me for this opportunity. Yes, I have been in data industry for over two decades. uh, And throughout my career, I have been working with different kinds of organizations, uh, different kinds of businesses, financial industry or or retail industry, uh, and also globally. I have worked in the US for a couple of years. I have worked in Singapore for a couple of years, and it was 2007 when I landed in in Australia. This is my first time working experience uh, with a federal government agency, but I must say it has been quite rewarding because some of the data initiatives, some of the data uh, projects or uh, program we have started, they are just amazing. And and I, I was fortunate enough that I have got experience and exposure of working in all data management uh, uh, areas. If you think of DEMA framework, I have worked uh, pretty much in all knowledge areas of DEMA framework. Uh, so today I couldn't be more than happy to share my views on data literacy, because as you would have heard, that data is new oil and there are so many buzzwords like that uh, we are a data driven organization we like to take data based decisions we like to have insight driven decisions but there is a lot underneath to unpack that statement
0: absolutely absolutely and i think you you're right i think they, you know people use those buzzwords but you know really understanding what that really means and what the importance of understanding it and increasing it across the organization. Because I think traditionally uh, organizations feel that it's the team, the the data and business intelligence team's role to be doing all things data, but it's actually a lot wider than that. So I'm really um, keen to explore this a a bit further. So from your perspective, why is data literacy becoming more important?
1: Look, I think... uh the world, if you think of a decade, last decade, uh, the world has changed a lot, especially the pandemic has forced uh, the world, world to change the ways of working. And we are getting more into digital side of the world, where everything is online, you have app, you have websites, uh, things are done at your fingertip. Gone are those days when people used to go to bank branch and do the passbook entry at a teller machine. Now everything is available at a fingertip. Now, that's just one of the examples. Uh, The usage of data, and there are plenty of stats around the world. Uh, The usage of data has been growing exponentially, and it has grown in last decade again, a lot. But what does it really mean? We still see the challenges that every organization goes through some sort of transformation. There is some new technology implemented, there is some new software implemented, new business processes are introduced. Everything is done through a project. But what is key uh, element missing in a project that how do we uplift People's knowledge about the data. Uh, and, and it's not about dashboards and graphs and charts. Uh, as you rightly pointed out earlier, the the it's not BI teams uh, that we are talking here. It's about people, it's about change. When we, when we implement something new, when we uplift any technologic capability, it is equally important that we uplift people's knowledge about the data and how it impacts them and organization. And without that, there'll be still significant investments happening uh, in in each organization to make technological changes, the process changes, and there'll be multi-million dollar projects to do that. So if we don't improve the data literacy among everyone, not just individual level, because that literacy is important for people to do their job more efficiently, more effectively along with any other technological advancement. So that's why I feel that the more fast we go on uplifting the technology, it's equally important to keep bringing data literacy along with that same pace.
0: Yeah. And how do you, um, I guess, how do you keep the pace up? So because technology moves so quickly and companies today are making changes very, very quickly, perhaps sometimes as well without looking at the impacts of the, the speed that they're doing this in. So how do you how do you sort of balance that out, and how do you ensure that you don't lose something really valuable in that process?
1: Yeah, so I think you you mentioned good point. The technology moving at a fast pace, and I think this is where technology itself can help us. Some of the new technologies available in the market, which I've been researching, they are really good. Uh, they themselves provide inbuilt data literacy. Now, this is where the organizational maturity comes in place. That. The people who are sponsoring the project, they need to be mindful that the funding is not only for the technology. Funding is not for a particular project, but it's also to uplift literacy uh, among people. How do we ensure that people uh, or staff who's going to use this technology is is upskilled equally to not only use the technology, but also understand the data underneath? And it's a part of a change management, which has to be in any program of work, that, that change management is equally important Along with technology uplift. So that's one aspect of that. I think the second aspect of that is that uh, in, in the as we call business as usual or BAU mode, uh, how does it ma- how, how, how does it take in take place? So there are change agents. Uh, there are a couple of ways to to to, hand, to look after that. Uh, there are change agents in the organization uh, who, who would be the change advocate and change agent who will continue working with the business, working with the technology in the behavior capacity to ensure that people are up-to-date with the knowledge and the skills. And the third and the most important thing is, uh, everybody wants everything easy. Now we are so used to, as I was giving the example of uh, things at fingertip. So how easily information is accessible to people, whether it's through an app or an internet website, or there are some quick cheat posters available around your desk. Uh, And in the digital world, uh, I think it's preferred that everything is available on, on, on your laptop or internet somewhere so information needs to be easily accessible in the most convenient way and it should be short and concise rather than lengthy 100 page documents yeah, so there yeah. are some different ways to do that
0: excellent excellent um and then if you know when sort of building I, I suppose a data literate culture and you're you've got an organization where you know people are say for example you know in the factory and then you've got people sitting in the in the offices and then you've got people sitting in centralized functions how do you um? Or you know, what would your advice be around ensuring that there's some consistency there and the, the message gets to the right places? Because quite often the literacy piece comes from the people who are actually doing those roles day to day.
1: Yeah. So so my 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 advice and then the approach I would take is uh, start small and then scale up. Uh, I think that's the best way, rather than doing a big bang. Mm-hmm. And these sort of uh, programs have to be approached in a way that it's a bottom-up approach rather than top-down approach. Right. So initiative sponsorship, et cetera, can come from top-down. But when you start rolling out or implementation, it needs to be bottom-up and starts, start with a smaller cohort of people. Because that will help you to understand some of the pain points. Uh, that will also help you understand that tailor the data literacy to meet that particular cohort's requirement because that's reality this data literacy is not one size fits all no yes yeah. tailored uh, according to individual cohort or individual teams requirement and then and then there is a higher chance of success
0: yeah yeah brilliant um and in terms of i guess um you know challenges you know that you might face uh, with regards to um rolling out data literacy what could be the typical challenges that an organization or a leader like yourself might face
1: uh, so there are primarily two challenges I can see. Uh, one is uh, prioritization. Uh, now people are busy. Everybody's busy in their day-to-day job, and for all valid reasons, because they are, that's what they are tasked to do. Amongst those B.A.U. jobs, if you throw in additional work of, hey, we're going to train you up on data literacy, uh, it's hard. Uh, not not everybody can cope up with that, and that's a human nature. And also change itself. Change is not easy. Uh, this is. We are saying that data literacy is a change of ways of working because we are empowering you uh, with more knowledge, more information, mm-hmm. and it's 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 quite natural that people have been doing things certain way for a long time, and all of a sudden we say we're going to change the flow. It becomes hard for people. So prioritization and change is is going to be the most uh, challenging uh, in rolling out data literacy in any organization.
0: And um, if I were to ask you to explain. To, I suppose, non-data professionals, what does data literacy mean? Because this podcast is, you know, designed to help individuals sort of understand more around it. And this particular topic I'd love to share with those kind of individuals and organizations. How would you describe what what does data literacy actually mean to somebody like me, for example?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair, fair question. So, so data literacy uh, is not strictly for data professional. Period. Data literacy is for everyone in the organization. It's like security is everyone's responsibility. Yes. This, this is like that. Data literacy is for, is everyone's. Uh, uh, is is for everyone. Now, what does it mean in real life? So, I'm, I'm going to run by an example here. An organization may be using uh, a CRM solution uh, to enter some case details in their system. The person or the operator who is entering data in CRM system, that operator must understand what does this data mean. For example, that person is entering age of a person or address of a person or some case details. If they don't understand that whatever data I'm entering in CRM system will have these consequences, then there is a chance that that operator may not pay full attention to what they're entering they may enter wrong age they may enter wrong gender or they may miss some details in the case so this is what a real life data literacy means a tailored data literacy means at operations level and that's how the data literacy has to be tailored to make sure that it meets all cohorts requirement
0: yeah yeah okay brilliant um and i think that sort of takes us back to where you said you know start start kind of uh, use the bottom up approach because if you start with the individuals who are doing, you know, I suppose transacting, I suppose, in in a simple term, and then that information is entered incorrectly, then it doesn't matter how much information you have, if it's not capturing what you need. But if you start there, explain to them what they need to be doing and why and how it, I suppose, as well, how it impacts and how it benefits them, that's where you sort of get the buy-in as well
1: true and and historically what was uh, in the projects well there was always question about should we have systematic controls in those transactional systems mm-hmm. and when i support that idea but systematic controls can go only up to certain level yeah there is always a human intervention and that's where i feel that there is the importance of data literacy how you educate user or a human that this is the importance of this particular data because then and then uh, you reduce the risk of wrong information
0: yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely um and then in relation to um challenges, I know you we, we touched on it there that you know prioritization is is one of the challenges. How would um organizations you know sort of incorporate that into when they're rolling out data literacy like what could what could some of the techniques or approaches be to to sort of you know create that prioritization? Because everyone's trying to do their jobs. Everyone feels that that's more important than this. So how do you, you know, do you have any, you know, sort of methods or techniques that you feel would be, you know, beneficial to share?
1: Yeah, so so there are a couple of ways to carve that up. Uh, so one is, uh, I think I did mention earlier that the investment decision needs to come from top down, uh, from the executive leadership team. So that that's part of the corporate plan or annual plan that we are going to, literate our, our community, our staff uh, in the next couple of years. So that's that's the step one. Step two, uh, I think HR can play a really good role as well, where they can come up with some sort of uh, KPIs or, or, or a job requirement that every person needs to be data literate and there are different levels. Uh, for example, if you are a graduate from uni, you need to be level one. Uh, or if you're a seasonal professional or a manager, you need to be level three, something like that. Those sort of KPIs could be part of a job description. Then it goes down to the team level uh, uh KPIs, that how data literate individual team needs to be. If it's a finance team, if it's a HR team, if it's an operation team, they need to have their own, they need those team leaders need to define that KPIs at their team level uh and, and reviewed annually. Uh, because data literacy is not once-off kind of project. It's an ongoing yeah. journey. It needs to continue on and on and keep getting better at it. So there are different layers through which it can be done investment, HR, team. And that, that, that we can, that's how we can continue rolling out data literacy across the organization and keep getting better at it.
0: Fantastic. And it sounds like it, sometimes it's a bit of a behavioral shift as well for you know, people like you and I who've perhaps been doing things a certain way for a number of years. It's almost shifting that behavior, which initially might feel quite difficult. But yeah. once you sort of start to see, but then for new people joining, I think it becomes very easy because it's kind of a behavior and a value and that you've built into the culture of what's expected. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, I think it you've just got to sort of work and, and people in the organization need to just buy into um, what you're trying to do.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, now we've talked a little bit about the, I suppose the human and the people aspect of data literacy. Let's talk about some of the technology. So, yeah. Um, you know, can technology help build data uh, data literacy? And um, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I I, I do believe that I strongly believe that that technology can build. Uh, and and there are some some of the new tools or latest uh, softwares uh, either in the BI world or non BI world. In fact, I had a look at uh, a demo of a particular software uh, a couple of days before, and I was quite amazed at how easy and intuitive this software can be. Now. When you think of data literacy, some of the common question in your mind is, uh, an end user, you might want to search something. How do I enter this information? If and if you start searching on Google, now if it, there is a technology which can answer, give you an answer like that, that serves the purpose. So, for example, you have an intranet full of information, user guides, training manuals, so on and so forth. It's all, and most of organizations have that. And if there is a software sitting on top of it, which allows you to search Google-like question, then it becomes relatively easy for end users or, or any operator to search for that information. So that's one aspect. Some of the BI tools, uh, they have matured a lot in last couple of years where they do have inbuilt functionality, asking uh, ask a question about data, very simple. And, and that, that prompts user to ask anything about the data. So technology is uh, advancing. Uh, some of the new BI tools I have seen that they have inbuilt analytics. Uh, they generate insights based on the graph. So you have a bar chart or a pie chart, and the tool itself comes up with some sort of insights that what is this graph telling you. So people don't need to be literate about how do I interpret this graph because the tool is telling itself as well. So that's one, that's that's the BI side of it. I think, uh, as I was saying, some of the transactional systems, some of the new systems, they are coming with inbuilt uh, data literacy, where there's some, some sort of predictive uh, pop-up tip on the screen, which tells us, hey, this this sales is doing this number, uh, and that prompts users to investigate a little more. So technology can play a significant role in uplifting data literacy. It doesn't need to be paper-based, or it doesn't need to be document-based uh, work there. It is a lot, there's a lot of machine learning and AI-based technology coming up and and I think the future is bright for that Uh, it will keep getting advanced as we progress through so uh, that should be really exciting.
0: Excellent can you give us some examples of some technologies that you feel um are are quite good and you know sort of complement um you know building that data literacy just for for our listeners you know if if people are looking at adopting some of those methods is there any particular technologies or, or software that you feel would be would be quite good to consider? Yeah, so
1: look, I think I think when you think of a BI or a business intelligence type of technology, uh, then generally some of the well known technologies in the market are uh, Microsoft Power BI, uh, that's well known. Uh, ClickSense is another one, uh, mm. and there is to be Tableau. Now, these three are reasonably well known technology in the industry. Uh, not that I'm voting for one or over the other. Yeah, so. But I was uh, fortunate to have exposure to all three of them, mm. and, and those three have matured. A lot in the last couple of years, so th- those are some of the good technologies. I was reading a podcast uh, sorry, I was reading a a, a blog uh, on internet on, on LinkedIn, and I saw a technology name called Diana AI okay. uh, and I visited their website and and that i I quite like that tool uh, on the surface of it i haven't I haven't seen the demo've yeah. spoken with those people, but I think those are some of the new ways of new technology which simplifies data literacy uh, for end users.
0: Excellent, excellent, brilliant. And you touched on it um, just then that you know um, new machine learning and AI play a, a, a role. You know how, how does that play a role in data literacy?
1: Yeah. So the machine learning and AI starts working when you have a very solid underlying foundation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the good news is most of the organizations are investing heavily in simplifying their underlying infrastructure and foundation. Any cloud that you talk about, whether it's a Microsoft Cloud or AWS Cloud or Google Cloud, they, they come with some, some really cool underlying foundation. Now, that helps to consolidate data into one place. That also helps to connect different data in one place, and that then your machine learning starts on top of it. What are the frequently searched items for a particular information? A bit like Amazon Marketplace that yeah. if you buy something, you say, oh, people also search for this. Now, If you combine that along with any of the BI tools, I think it's a management in heaven uh, for information uh, uh, hungry people in the organization. Uh, And All all the BI technologies are coming with uh, inbuilt machine learning and AI, which keeps searching what are the frequently used uh, information across the organization that helps to navigate information easier.
0: Excellent, excellent. And I suppose the question, um, probably related specifically to, uh, to to what you guys do, because obviously the insights and value that you bring to an organisation is is amazing. But how do you control h- how much is too much when you're supporting the businesses? Um, because you know, every time I speak to data professionals, their their eyes light up. They're super excited about what they're doing. So. How do you draw the line around, okay, this is enough for now, um, and, and what's too much?
1: Yeah, it's, it's always hard, isn't it? I mean, the, the lines can get blurred at times, okay. uh, uh, that between hard and, and, and too much, or it's just the right balance. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's driven by uh, the, the, the use case itself. Uh, so the earlier example I gave about uh, tailored data literacy for one team and the other team at all. So that's a starting point that this is the right level of information for this particular use case. And you start scaling that out. So it's completely driven by the use case.
0: Sure, sure. And I suppose it's dependent on the the audience and the stakeholders of what they're wanting um, and and how much depth they want you to go into that kind of dictates that to some degree.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much. That was um, really insightful and, and very easy to understand. And that's what I wanted to to make this topic you know quite quite easy for people to understand um now i guess uh, going back to yourself dashil can you give um maybe uh, give us an example of a couple of your career highlights where you know whether it's related to data literacy or not but so, you know some of the projects that you feel have sort of shaped who you are now
1: yeah so I, there were, there are many projects uh, but i think one particular project that uh, i i keep bragging a lot about is that so I was working in a in an international organization where we are working on a different time zone. Uh, where I had uh, my stakeholders sitting in the UK or in the US, and obviously I was based in Melbourne. So first was the time zone management of the three different time zones. That was first, and then strict deadlines because we were selling data to those clients out there. Now the challenge there was. Uh, that was my first ever experience of working with the big data. That was still a new term in those days. So what do you mean by big data? Hadoop architecture goes a little uh, And Then I had to get my hands on uh, with those side of architecture, uh, running some queries and, and creating some insights. I think the challenge there and the learning I got there was that data is still data, whether it's big or small, really it's all about data. Once you get a good understanding of what is the importance of this data? Goes back to heart of my discussion of data literacy. What is the importance and how this data is used? Then it became relatively e- easy for me uh, to make some sense out of that data, and then it was relatively easy for me to, to create generate insights out of that data, in spite of different time zones and work time pressures and things like that. So I I got to exposure to uh, of that big data as a first exposure, mm-hmm. understanding importance of literacy, and generating insights out of that. So those projects were really uh, close to my heart and I enjoyed working with them a lot.
0: Fantastic. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Um, And what would you say has been or have been um, some of the most challenging things you faced during your career?
1: Uh, The challenging thing, uh, yeah, look, I think change management is is still challenging, I feel. Uh, It's hard for people to change. And and, and it's not to blame here anyone, but that's just the human nature. Uh, some people, I have I had many experiences where I had some really great ideas that I thought, oh, this could be good for the organization, that could be good for the organization. But when you try to implement that, uh, you are pushed back with a number of challenges, uh, and and some of the biggest challenges is a change of processes, change of people's behavior. It's not so much about technology, it's not about strategy, it's more about always, it's always about people, and I think that's what uh, uh, has been eye opener for me that how important it is to factor that in in mm-hmm. any project because that's the core of uh, making everything successful
0: yeah yeah brilliant um and also i suppose accepting that you like you said you're not going to be able to change everyone and you, you know there there are going to be some individuals that you're going to you're going to struggle to get on board and get on the journey um that's
1: right yeah and and it's part of the game right uh, when right. We, when you buy a Bag of grapes that I always want to do like that. So, <laughs>
0: it
1: out. So, yeah. so, but you try to make the best out of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you've almost got to take it. You've just got to kind of brush it off, you know, and 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 focus on the on, on the ones where you know you've got that buy in and 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 make sure you get the best out of those. Um, and in terms of where you see the industry going, you know, obviously it's, you know, the data over the last couple of years has has blown out and a lot of companies are looking at how they use that data and um, te- new technologies are coming out. I mean, you talked about one that you looked at, you know, a few days ago. So, uh, you know, where do you see this industry heading? I mean, we're just at the, you know, in my opinion, I think we're just at the start of the, the sort of boom, right? So where do you see it going?
1: Yeah, look, I think, I think that's a very good point. Uh, industry has a as I was saying earlier, COVID has forced industry to change its perspective. It has forced for innovation, and I think that's going to continue. Uh, I think that the rest of the decade—we uh, are two years into this decade—by end of 2030, the industry would be so much digitized. It will be so uh, technology focused, and any industry and every industry, you name it, they will be technology focused. There will be huge technological advancement in those industry. Uh, and 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 luckily, the the technology companies are are uh, coping up the well. They're ahead in the game. Frankly, they're coming with more innovations, more exciting ways to do things to deliver solutions. So there will be uh, some of the really new technology in 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 uh, in, in the government sector or non-government sector uh, or or in retail banking uh, mm-hmm. faster. Uh, and and I won't be surprised to be hard to be honest. It's so hard to predict uh, what will be the the new technology in the next next five years. Because it's just changing, it's evolving. But I think the major focus will be uh, in the cybersecurity, data, and digital. I think combining these together, they will they will rule the world in next decade.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there is a lot of companies are focusing a lot on the data security aspects That's becoming more of a common conversation that I'm having these days with clients as well. So um, yeah, really, really interesting. Thank you for that. Um, and how do you keep up? Because it doesn't move so quickly. How do you stay up to date? How do you keep yourself across what's going on?
1: Yeah, it, and and that's been uh, one of the challenge. In spite of, and I thought that this lockdown will slow everything down, but it's quite yeah. opposite. Awesome, actually, uh, it, it has it has accelerated everything, uh, and 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 people are doing more more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I still like to keep up. I still like to keep up the, through different channels. LinkedIn has been a great source for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of uh, uh, meeting people in-person. So I, I miss those in-person conferences, events where I used to learn something new, greet and meet people in-person and exchange ideas and all. You can go only up to certain pace. I I, I, I try to stay away from a variety of uh, apps. There are plenty of uh, social media apps, uh, you name it, it's out there. And frankly, I remove all of them because I, I still like to contain my my reach out to people, Uh, In certain way, rather than going left, right, and center, so there are ways you can keep up. Try to keep up with everything, but it could be kind of mind boggling. So you have to scale back and understand where you, in which direction you want to keep up through what channel.
0: Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, And I guess in terms of um, you know your current focus, I mean we touched on it earlier, um, and and I asked you the question, you know, how are you finding? working in a commercial organization and now working sort of in in federal government. Um, Tell us a bit more about that, because obviously when people are sort of looking to shift their careers, it'd be great to share your experience of of how you found that.
1: Uh, It has been rewarding. Uh, I I must say uh, I was lucky enough uh, to get this opportunity where I'm working now. But I suppose the the first step I took, I did, before I signed up for this role, to understand uh, this organization's priority. Uh, and every organization's priorities are listed in their corporate plan on their website. So I would strongly encourage anyone that if you're applying to switch from commercial to a private public sector organization, go into their organization plan uh, or, or on their website, understand what are their priorities, understand their leadership structure, read some news about their organization, what's happening. That will help you to understand the trajectory of the organization where they are heading towards. And that will help you to make an informed decision whether you would like to join this organization or not. Uh, I was lucky; uh, I got in the the right time, even though I joined in lockdown. But I'm, I'm able to do all the good things for for this organization.
0: Yeah, excellent. And um, on that as well, I'd I'd love to sort of ask you a couple of more questions because it's very you know, like you said, you can you can have a look at what their plan is, what their vision is. They can tell you that. What what kind of questions could somebody ask to really understand? You know what what the appetite is, and uh, what impact this you know they might be able to have.
1: Yeah, so it's it's important to understand uh, what business this organization is into. Uh, I mean, uh, many people have some ethics. Uh, for example, some some individuals may not go for certain type of organization. For example, gambling organization. Yeah. Uh, some people have that that it's their choice. Mm-hmm. Now, if you understand that. For me, it was it was important that I understand what what what's our role is, uh, how we are helping people uh, to secure their financial well-being, uh, and that matters because it's 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 my money, it's your money, it's people's money. Uh, sure. We pay taxes, so we want to ensure that there is uh, someone who is looking after that money. The question that you would ask is the stability of the organization, their plan for next three years or five years. Every organization has a five-year roadmap or a vision and the investments they're making it to make that happen because that drives everything uh and and you can you can tell that by looking at some news about what has been happening by by listening to some of the podcasts if they're available uh in that case by reading some articles on their Mm -hmm. website so there are different ways by we can you can identify if the organization is going in the right direction or not
0: excellent excellent and then i guess for um for people like myself how are you um, leaders managing the skills gap that we're all experiencing at the moment? You know, when companies are out there hiring, everyone's fighting for the same talent. There's clearly a skills gap. Um, Two reasons, you know, firstly, a lot of companies have moved to cloud and that technology is relatively new. So the people that everybody wants there's a small pool of those. And then, um, you know, individuals who've worked on prem are wanting to move into a cloud environment. Um, then you're getting, you know, technical roles where you look at a job description and um the technical skills are essential. And then I'll present somebody really technical who can tick all those technical boxes, but then I get told, but they don't have the people skills that we need. Um, and you know, my experience is you know, typically, if you're looking for very strong technical skills, they're going to lack some of the people skills. And then if you want somebody who's got the very good people skills and stakeholders skills, they're going to lack some of the technical skills, it's very hard to find the balance of both. Yeah. Um, how are you, I mean, how are you managing that skills gap? Um, and uh, what's your approach to hiring if you have to or what would it be if you did have to hire?
1: Yeah, so, so 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 you rightly said that there is a huge skill gap, especially last two years of lockdown in Australia uh, and shortage of skills. Uh, There's been significant gap uh, in, in all areas. Uh, and and I, I have taken a couple of approaches. Uh, first is upskilling internal team. Uh, and upskilling internal teams are more of one-on-one coaching, more mentoring, um, and, and I'm a strong believer of mentorship, where, where possible uh, mentor uh, people who like to get mentored. Uh, and I do that quite proactively. Within organization, even outside organization, so that's first step. Second point is technical skills are relatively easy uh, to upskill. Uh, there are plenty of courses available, available out there, uh, free or paid. Uh, you can get them online and and upskill someone technically. I think the tough one comes uh, the people management skill. That's when that's another level of uh, one-on-one coaching required for those people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when you are hiring externally you're simply playing a bet depending on the resume, depending on the interview. Uh, so if you can get a good grasp of uh, people management skills, soft skills, I would be more inclined to go for that person rather than having someone very strong at technical and and no uh, people management skill or stakeholder engagement skill. Because you can teach technical skill, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to teach uh, stakeholder engagement skills and people skills. That comes naturally over the period of time based on your experience.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also what organisations are able to do when they adopt that approach, Dasha, is they're not having to pay the premiums to entice people to move because companies are paying, you know, individuals relatively well for that skill or the technical skill. Um, And as an organisation, if you're, you know, you're bound by budgets or you want to keep some level of consistency with your existing staff and organisation and new people coming in. That's a great way to do it because individuals, in my experience, that I'm talking to, are prepared to move for the same money, even take less in some instances to have the opportunity to learn a new technology. So,
1: true, yeah, I, and I think all the leaders, all the hiring managers, must understand that <laughs> it's important to look after people. It's important to look after your team, uh, and and not that you get involved in day-to-day nitty-gritty or micromanagement. But it's absolutely critical that you you understand what's happening. You have a pulse check with all of them, uh, because people are people. Uh, they they do need occasional help and support. So as a, as a leader or as a manager, you should not be afraid to extend your arm and provide additional support when required.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very, very much, Dasha. As I said, I've really, really enjoyed the discussion, and and you've certainly shared some really interesting things there uh, for us. If anybody wants to reach out to you via LinkedIn, are you happy for them to connect with you and, and reach out to you if they had any other questions or?
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm a LinkedIn person. I'm I'm active. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So please feel free to reach out anytime.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very, very much for your time.
1: Thank you. Rika. Thank you.
0: Thanks.